just a few months back, my parents were in a place after a storm where they had no electricity. And uh, I had no way to get to them at the time and was not in, 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 in able to do anything to help them. My brother was out. He's in the law enforcement, so he's working the effects of the storm and he can't get there. But guess what? Their small group, a small group that they're a part of in their church family, rallied around them, came and went, got them a, their generator going, got them gas for the generator, got the power all hooked up and going, got them some food and brought in. And I thought to myself, I'm so grateful for a church family that was able to take care of them at a time when I couldn't take care of them. And then I thought of my own life and our own experience and how often I've thought that. I can recall, for instance, um, some good times and some not so good times when I was grateful to have a church family around us. You've heard me talk about our situation with Brody when he was two, our youngest grandson at that time. and He got cancer and we were separated. We were down in Miami, and everybody else was up here, and we thought, how do we handle this? It was a comfort to know that my church family was praying for us and lifting us up and, and holding us up to the Lord when, at a time when we needed it desperately. And I was so glad to have that church family. And, and then I, I thought about when my kids were teenagers, when my children, our children were teenagers. And I was so thankful for my church family because, as I've said many times, I don't know about you, but for me, when our children were teenagers, Beth and I became the dumbest people on the earth. We really needed somebody to help because we needed a second voice coming in. And I'm so grateful that I had a church family that would step up and uh, speak into my children's life at a very important time in their life. And then I thought of a few years back, not really so long ago, when we had first moved to Perry. It was the farthest we had been away physically from our family. We had never lived that far away before. And it was okay. We were still able to see them on occasion, but Christmas was coming. And I remember thinking, wow, this is going to be different because for us, Christmas was a time when our family would gather together on Christmas Eve. We'd have Christmas Eve together, and it was always a special time. And I realized, we realized, we're not going to be able to do that this year. We're too far away. What are we going to do? And then somebody on my church uh, team said to us, said, oh, by the way, Pastor, we have a Christmas Eve service. And my first thought was, who wants to go to church on Christmas Eve? I mean, I'm sorry. I know that's not very spiritual, but that's just kind of the way I felt at the time. I'd never done that. I'd always just been, and then it occurred to us. We can't be with our family on Christmas Eve, but we can be with our faith family. And Christmas Eve service became, for me, one of my favorite services of the year. And to this day, Christmas Eve, when I can gather with you guys, is one of my favorite services of the year. I've used that phrase so many times. I am so grateful for my family being in church so that I have a faith family. Now, I know that in this series, we've created some tensions, all right? Sometimes we create those tensions um, on purpose, intentionally, really. Sometimes we want to create a tension to, let, to try to get to what is real in life. And sometimes the only way to do that is to create these tensions. And so we've created a tension because here's what's thinking. I know that some are probably thinking, yeah, but Pastor Eddie, I don't have a family. I don't really have a family with me. I, I'm separated from my family. Or, I don't have, or maybe you've thought this. I don't really have a church family. I've been coming here six months, but I still haven't been connected. and I, I don't have that church family. I don't have that connection. Or maybe there's a tension of somebody or somebody's in here that have this tension. Well, when I needed it, the church family was nowhere to be found. Because that happens, frankly, also at times. 
I remember thinking that myself. I remember thinking at times that I don't even feel connected. I'm the pastor, <laughs> and I don't feel connected. I know you're thinking, well, it ought to be easy for you. You are the pastor. No, not really. And in some ways, it's harder. And I've had that same tension. Well, I didn't know the church family was there when I needed that. So it's tensions that we have to solve. But I want to say something to you that I think is very important. I want to show you today that the church, I believe with all my heart, the church is not just like a family. Church is a family. The church is not just like a family. I've heard that said many times, and I'm going to say before we're finished that a local church should function like a family. But really, biblically, theologically, the church is a family. So what I want to do today is I want to kind of break this message up into two parts and, and do two things. First of all, I want to show you theologically why the church is a family. And then secondly, I want to show you how we can get better connected. I, I want to get real practical and say to that tension that says, um, I just can't get connected. I want to tell you, I want to give you some practical things that I think will help move the needle a little bit on that thing. All right? So I hope to do that very quickly, and I won't take long. This is a holiday weekend. I am just glad you're here. Amen? I'm glad that you are in church today. So I want to go to the book of 1 Peter, the New Testament book, 1 Peter. If you have a Bible like this, it'll be in the back of your Bible. Maybe it's on your tablet or phone, or you can read and follow along up here, and um, they'll be moving that along. 1 Peter chapter 1 and chapter 2. Peter is addressing the church. Anytime you read your Bible, always look to see who is speaking and who is being addressed. And if you can, try to figure out the context that they're speaking in. Doesn't that just make sense? Sometimes we don't understand the Bible because we don't look at those three things. Who's writing? Who's it being written to? And what's the context or the setting that's being addressed? What's the problem? What's the tension that's being solved? And so here it is. Peter, the apostle, is writing to the church. This is after the resurrection and ascension of Christ. The church is very, very young in its infancy. And he even tells us in the beginning of his letter that he's writing to the diaspora. That is, to the church that has been dispersed, spread out. Why are they dispersed? Because everybody's leaving Jerusalem for fear of the Romans. They know what happened to Jesus. They're expecting the same thing may happen to them. There's this man named Saul who's been persecuting the church and everybody else has been trying to snuff out this movement. So the church dispersed. So now Peter is writing this letter to the church. Now that's important because of what we're going to read today. You need to know that. So what does he have to say to the church? Well, interestingly... He addresses the church as he would a family. He's going to make a point that church is not just like family. It is a family. Let me show you what I mean. Chapter 1, beginning with verse 22. Listen to what he says. He says, Since you have, been pur since you have purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth, so that you show sincere brotherly love for each other. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Before we go on. Brotherly love? First of several familial terms that he's going to use. He says, your love for each other. He uses a Greek word, phileo. Phileo. It's the word from which we get our idea, Philadelphia. City of what? Brotherly love. He's saying, as you sincere or show sincere brotherly love. So automatically, he's putting us in a family. 
He's saying you are to love like brothers and sisters. Let me read on and then I'll unpack it a little bit. He says, from a pure heart, you love one another constantly because you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. Now let's stop there just a moment. Peter says, you're a family. Why? <laughs> because you are born born again into this family and you grow and you nourish and you live with a brotherly, familial type of love. Let's unpack that a little bit. Think about it. He says, first of all, know that as the church you are born again. Now, I don't know how many in the room are old enough to remember Jimmy Carter's days as president of the U.S., but if you're old enough to remember, you'll know, or maybe in your history books, hopefully you've read, uh, Jimmy Carter made famous or made nationally new, national news by telling the world that he was a born-again Christian. Remember, anybody remember that? A born-again Christian. And uh, yeah, everybody with gray hair like me. But anyway, the point of that being, Jimmy was right. The scripture speaks of Jimmy. I like how first name basis with President Carter. Anyway, y'all didn't know that, did you? <laughs> President Carter understood the theological truth that when we come to Christ, we are born again. Jesus had a conversation with a Pharisee one day named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus asked him, he said, uh, how can I enter heaven? He's interested in that, this eternal life thing. And, and I want to learn more about eternal life. And here's what Jesus said. Some of you will remember John chapter 3. Jesus said, you must be born again. And Nicodemus, being an intelligent guy, but not a believer, said, how can I be born again? Do I enter back into my mother's womb? And Jesus said, no, no, Nicodemus. I'm not talking about a physical birth. I'm talking about a spiritual birth. I'm not talking about going back and starting over as a flesh and blood individual, but spiritually. And then Paul would later pick up on that theme, and he would write, and he would say, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation Old has passed away and everything is becoming new. There is this new birth. And then Peter picked up on it again. And he said, you're born again, not of corruptible things like silver, but of the precious blood of Christ. And so he's talking about our salvation experience. So if you're here today and you're a follower of Christ, this is addressing you. Now, if you're not here and uh, uh, you're not a follower of Christ, then just listen on because understand that's who Peter's writing to. He's writing to Believers, he's writing to the church, and he says to the church, first of all, you are born again. First introduction of the family thought, and that is church, we are born into the family of God. I almost want to burst out into an old song right now, but I probably shouldn't. I'd just be made fun of. But there's an old, old song that we used to sing all the time in the old days. Some of you with gray hair are going to remember. We used to sing this song called, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed. I, I'm going to sing, so I better just stop. You get the idea? We are born into a family. So if you are a part of the church, you are a part of a family. You see, the church is not just like a family, Although to function like one, it is a family. We have this, we've all experienced this new birth in Christ. The one thing that kind of holds us together is this new birth in Christ, this new relationship with a heavenly what? Father who has given birth to his people. That is so critically important. That's what makes us a family. You see, I'm a part of my physical family by blood, right? And, and, and the blood that is and my blood, father and mother and, and brother, and, and, and that's part of it. But listen, Peter says we're part of a greater family. 
It's called the family of God. And you've been born again through the blood of Jesus Christ. And oh, by the way, since you're part of the family, he says, you're to love each other with brotherly love. <laughs> I love that verse, but that is such a challenge. Can I just say, I just want to be honest, can I just say, some people are easier to love than others? Can I get, come on, can I get an amen or a nod, at least something? Some people are just easier to love than others, but we are to love each other with brotherly love. Now, this is where the church begins to function as a family, right? We are family because we've been born again and we're, born, we're children of God. But now he's talking not so much to the large church, although he is talking to the church in general, but he's talking to the local church. And as a local body of churches, a local body of believers, we are to love each other as brothers and sisters. That's why you don't hear it so much today. But you, used to, you should hear it sometime today. You used to hear church people call each other brother and sister, right? So a lot of people will call me Brother Eddie. Is that your brother? He's my brother in Christ, right? Some, in fact, it's, it's a, tickly, it tickles me sometimes. People will come to me and they'll say, what? when they first meet me, so what do we call you? And say, so, well, let me tell you what don't call me. <laughs> if you don't call me, I don't really care what you call me. But anyway, they're wondering, do I call you Brother Eddie, Pastor Eddie, just Eddie? But the idea is we do call brothers and sister because we are. Now, one thing I know about brothers and sisters, there is a tightness, there is a love that always has their back. My brother is a policeman in um, St. Augustine. He's retired from DOC, and when he retired, he went to the police, for, office, he had a police officer in St. Augustine. You know, he pushed me away from the table, so he's about six foot three and a happy meal short of 300 pounds. Uh, <clears throat> solid guy, right? The kind of guy you want on your side. I don't get to talk to my brother much because we're separated by so much distance, but guess what? I know that I could call him at any moment, and he'd have my back. I know that. Even though I don't seem like, and that's just how family is. You know, we just have each other's back. But here's what else I know about family. Even though I love my family dearly, and even though they love me dearly, I know this about families. We don't always agree on everything politically. We can't even agree on what football team we're going to pull for. We don't always agree on values or methodologies or how to do family. And you know what? I also know that sometimes we squabble. Anybody else's family or is mine just weird? Sometimes we squabble. It's easy to get on each other's nerves. It's easy to get into little squabbles about this, that, or the other. I've seen close, close-knit families who get into major fights when matriarchs or patriarchs pass away and there's money issues to be solved. <sighs> Those are tough times. But... Even though we may not agree on those things, we're still family, and there's a deep love. Now, I say that to say, sometimes churches are the same way. Can I just get honest? Churches don't always agree on everything politically, right? They don't, they don't always agree on everything politically. I tell you what, I know for a fact that if I stand up at any point in time and make a political statement, I'm making half the people mad at me. Because we're just not ever going to agree on everything politically. We're not going to agree on everything methodologically. There's some people just don't like our style. They don't like the way we do church. There, there's, there's always going to be someone. And, and guess what? In church, 
I'm going to let you in on a secret. You probably didn't know this. I hate to tell you, but it's the truth. Sometimes we brothers and sisters in Christ squabble. In fact, sometimes we downright fight. That is no fun, right? You've been in a church and you're like, oh, Lord, I came here hoping I'd get away from that. Well, I'm sorry. You're probably not going to get away from it. Sometimes we squabble. You know why? We're different. We're different. And, 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 and I often say this, and I'll say it one more time. Uh, you know, if you're looking for the perfect church, if you find it, don't join. You'll mess it up. Because at some point, you're going to have a different opinion or a different idea or a different value. But the truth is, we are family. And we are to love each other deeply and sincerely and loyally. And then Peter says that we are to grow. We're to be nurtured. Look on at chapter 2. Let me read a little bit of chapter 2. Look what he says in the first verse. He says, therefore, having said all that we said a minute ago, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and deceit and hypocrisy, envy, and all slander, like, watch this, like newborn infants. Desire the sincere milk of the word so that you may grow up into your salvation. Now stop right there just a minute. Now he takes the analogy a step further. He pushes the metaphor. He says, just like family, we have people who are born into the family and they're infants. Infants. That is so, can I just say that is so important to get? Because here's what we do. We have a tendency. I don't know if you have. We all have a tendency, I think, to want people who come to faith in Christ to grow up quickly. I tell people, I tell parents all the time when their children get baptized, and you've known me long enough to know, you know, I'm good with children being baptized because I believe children come to a faith in Christ. I'm convinced that I came to faith in Christ when I was nine years old. I, did I understand everything? Nope. Do I understand everything now? Nope. But I knew enough to know that Jesus died for me. And he wanted to have a relationship with me. And that I want to be a part of his family. And so I say to, to, to parents when their children are baptized, now don't expect them to be the Apostle Paul tomorrow. It's because when I was young, I had a parent call me. We baptized her child, 10-year-old child. I'm convinced that child understood everything she needed to understand. Had a parent call me that week and said, do you know she is still messing, having a messy room? She will not clean up her room. I wanted to say, I know a lot of people who come to faith in Christ who are 50 and 60 years old who don't clean their room. I mean, you know, it's not perfection. Infants, even adults who come to faith in Christ are like infants. How many know infants are demanding? Now, they're cute. And they're precious. And they're the sweetest things on earth. But it didn't take me long to realize with my first child, this little guy is demanding. He's not asking to be fed. He's demanding to be fed. He's not asking a me. I started to say me. He's not asking his mom to change. I just confess, I didn't do that a whole lot. It was a different day. But anyway, he's not asking to be changed. He's demanding to be changed. How many know that infants take a lot of work? you got to feed those little rascals, right? Wouldn't it be wonderful if they grew up, if they got here knowing how to cut their steak up? It'd be a lot easier. They don't do that. But how many of us know that in, faith, in this faith family, we got a lot of infants running around. So we can't expect everybody to be perfect. We can't expect everybody to just agree and cut up their own spiritual food and digest their own spiritual food, which is really why I'm here. I'm just here helping you to learn how to eat. 
I, I can't feed you personally, every person, everything you need. I've said this you know, so many times. There's so much more to being a Christian, a follower of Christ, than just coming on Sunday morning. I'm just trying to help you know how to eat. I'm just helping you to cut the food up for now. I want you to be able to open up 1 Peter and see that this is Peter the Apostle writing to the church is dispersed and discerning his words and taking it and using it. That's, that's the goal. Listen, I didn't mind cutting up the meat for my little children when they were growing up. But you know what? Now that they got children of their own, I'm not going to go cut their meat up for them, right? You expect them to grow and to mature. We are nourished together. And so Peter is saying to the church, we, here's the theology of the church. We are, we're not just like family. We are family because we have a commonality. We are born into the family of one father, a heavenly father. And we are brothers and sisters in Christ who love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And we are being nourished together. We're growing together. Which is why, frankly, sometimes it is just refreshing when you tell me about issues you got growing spiritually. I'm like, oh, I'm glad I'm not the only one dealing with that. I thought I was the only one dealing. Have you ever felt that way? I thought I was the only one dealing with it. Oh, no, no, no. There's a room full of us. In fact, I want to say this. I really believe that one of the reasons, one of the intentions that God has for us meeting together as a family on Sunday is to encourage each other. I really wish I could read to you Hebrews chapter 10. Maybe you read that later with your group or you, by yourself because in Hebrews 10, the writer of Hebrews, by the way, we don't know who that is. Everybody's got opinions, but we don't really know. The writer of Hebrews says that when we come together, especially at the end of time, he says we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. We should come together. And you know why he says it? To encourage one another. We need to. Yes, we come together to worship. Yes, we come together to see each other and to pat each other on the back. And, but we're here to encourage. We're here to encourage each other. I, I'm here to encourage you and you're there to encourage me. It's part of what we do as a family. We function as a family. There's so much more to that, but I've got to leave that because I am just almost out of time. So let me just switch gears and say this. Being a family is not easy, right? Being a family is not easy. Being a family takes work. If you've been a family very long, you know that. It takes effort. It takes work. It takes time. It takes energy. Now, when we first start off in a family, we think we're going to get married, live happily ever after, and everything's going to just work out. And it does for about a week. And you know, if I can just be a part of the family, we're going to have kids and they're going to be perfect children and it's going to just all work out. And it does for about two days. Family takes work. We have to work at it. We have to have a plan. We have to have some strategies. We have to sit down sometimes and just talk that through. We need some help sometimes. We need some encouragement sometimes. It is not easy. And then when you're having a second family, anybody know about that? Second family, it gets even more complicated, right? Because you've got children that are being added to the family. Or, and then family really gets complicated when you get my age because now not only do I have two children, but i got two spouses of those children. And so we got four families that we're dealing with and trying to, oh, it gets complicated. It's not easy. Well, in the same way, church life is not always easy. 
And sometimes we have to work at it. So I want to kind of close this series out with this thought. Because some of you, I know I've created a tension. Some of you are like, well, I don't know if I feel like I'm in a church family. I don't, I don't, I'm not sure if I feel a connection. How do I get connected? How can I find that, that faith family connection? It is, that is a great, great question. So I want to spend a few minutes talking about that, the last couple of minutes I have. How can I feel like, understand, experience being in a faith family? How can I get that connection that says that I'll make that statement one day? Whew, I wouldn't want to do this without a faith family, without a church family. How do I make that? How do we move the needle just a little bit. If, you're on a, if, if we're on a scale of, z- of, z- of zero to ten, and you're like, I'm about a one when it comes to connection. How do I move the needle up? I want to give you four thoughts. I'm going to do it quickly, so don't worry uh, about it. I'm, I'm going to move quickly, but I want to show you these four thoughts. I think they're critically important. First of all, if you want to make a connection, and by, <laughs> let me just stop in here. This is not easy for me. I, I am not Mr. Connection. Can I just say, I love people. But I am by nature an introvert. I know y'all, you know, somebody's like, what? Yeah, I am by nature an introvert. And there's some things about me that God has changed because I have to change in order to do what I do. But deep down, I'm still an introvert. And what I found it is sometimes that the things that, that bar us or keep us from getting connected are who we are. For instance, sometimes it's just our personality that's tough. I'm an introvert, so it's hard for me at times to make connection with people because I'd rather just kind of curl in, you know, and be in my own little world and us four and no more or us 10 or no, or us 15 or whatever it's up to now. I have a tendency to want to just kind of climb in and, and I'm not necessarily uh, comfortable with, with being connected with a lot of people. You know what I'm saying? So maybe it's your personality. Sometimes personalities. I've seen other people walk into a church family and they're like, they just know everybody and are connected with everybody in two days. You know what I'm saying? They just come in. It's their personality. They're extroverted. They're just, they know everybody. They aren't afraid of anything. They're not risking anything. They just come in and they are immediately put in, right? They are immediately connected. I have watched this personality thing so much. And I'll tell you why. Because people will tell me, people will tell me today, in our fellowship, someone will come in and say, I just cannot get connected. This is the hardest place to get connected. And the next day, somebody comes to me and says, man, I am connected. We've been there two times and we are excited and we are part of the family. I'm like, how can that be? How do you solve that tension? And I begin to realize some of it's personality. Some people can just jump right in there. Other people can't. Sometimes, I think it's other things. Sometimes it's not personality. Sometimes it's, we're busy. We're busy. I know that shocks you. We're busy. Is there anybody else in the room you feel like you're, this is your life? Get up, go to work, come home, eat supper, go to bed so you can get up the next day and go to work. That's our life. You just get up, you go to work, you get off, you eat, you go to bed, you get up, same thing again. We're so doggone busy. We're so busy we meet ourselves coming. We don't have time for relationships. We don't have time to connect with people. We don't have time for things that will connect us. After all, we are busy, 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 busy. I get that. Sometimes it's a different interest, right? You have a unique interest. I'm just looking for somebody that has interests like me. Problem is, in Swanee County, I don't think they exist. <laughs> I mean, you do, here's the, like somebody says, if you were in Swanee County, 
You better hunt and fish. If you don't hunt and fish, you can't fit there. Well, I hope you can. I don't hunt or fish. Well, I'll fish on occasion. Unique interests sometimes bar us. So how do we get beyond those things and make a connection? How can I do it? I'm going to give you four practical things. I, I don't know if you'll agree with me or not. First of all, show up. First of all, you got to show up. You can't connect from people from a distance. You know who's proven that to us? Social media, right? Because social media, you don't have to go out from your house. You can sit in your room. You can sit on the couch. And you can connect with people right there in the comfort of your home. You don't have to show up anywhere. You can sit there in your pajamas. You can just do it when it's convenient for you. You make a connection. Social media solved all of our connection and relationship problems. And if you believe that, I got land in the Everglades for you. No. Social media has not solved the issue. In fact, maybe it's made it worse. You know why? Because every now and then you have to show up. You have to show up with family. Every now and then you have to show up with family. You have to be connected. That's what family is. Family is when we come together and show up together sometimes, right? Family, we have all kinds of families besides our blood family. For instance... My, grand, my grandkids, oh Lord, my, my grandkids, I'm not apologizing for this, I'm ecstatic about it. My grandkids, throughout the year, all they change is what size, shape, and color the ball is. Right? I mean, it's ball from year round with them. It just changes shapes and sizes and colors. Other than that, it's ball. But I was, the other day, I was thinking, uh, my, two of my grandsons are on their all-star thing right now, you know, and you got this, you got this fellowship that happens, these tournaments are going all the time, and, and all this stuff is going on, and, and you're kind of really excited about that. And I heard somebody say something the other day. They said, this is my baseball family. I thought, you know what, that's right. They are a kind of family. They get together every weekend. They get together two times a week at the practice field. You know, they got a common connection because they all got kids who are playing ball. And, and so this baseball connection becomes a baseball family. And that's true, right? And I, I'm kind of a part of that family. The problem is I haven't showed up lately. <laughs> it's just that the, the games have fallen when I couldn't make it. And so I feel like I'm kind of left out. I'm not making the connection. Why? Because I haven't been showing up. Right? And so we get this. By the way, speaking of baseball, I can't leave without a shout out to the Swanee baseball team, right? I don't know if you know it or not. Swanee baseball team is going to state, leaving tomorrow. You ought to be proud of them, happy for them, excited for them. I am. And uh, what a con just congratulate the coaches, the players, everybody. Now, having done that shout out, let me get back to my talk. My thought is this that is a baseball family. You know what? There's other families, right? There's Gator Nation. Or Seminole Nation, right? And what do we do? We have something in common. We gather on Saturdays, right? And we come together with a commonality, and the commonality is the beloved orange and blue, or green and white, or maroon and gold, whatever it might be. You see, it brings us together. Now watch this. In a church family, you need to show up to get connected. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, preacher, you're just sounding like a preacher right now. But hold on. Understand, I don't get any bonus or extra points if we fill all the seats. Okay? That's not the goal. I don't get anything extra. I just want something for you, not from you. And what I want for you is a connection that comes with showing up. You've got to show up at small group. 
Everybody wants to be in a group and part of a life group. And by the way, it is that small group and life group that brings a connection that goes so far beyond a large group connection. You say, well, how can I be a part of this family? I don't know anybody. You're saying that he's my brother or she's my sister. I don't even know their name. In fact, the only way I recognize them is the back of their head, right? It's hard. But here's what I've noticed. I went to a, I went to a family reunion some time ago. Everybody loves family reunions, right? So we go to this family reunion, and I notice something. There's this huge family reunion. All these people have come. I don't know all of them. They're my family. I don't even know their names. I don't even know where they live. I don't know anything about them, but I know they're my family. So what do I do? I notice in this family reunion that everybody doesn't get in a big row area like we're in right now and have one member of the family stand up and address their other others. What do we do? They break off into small groups. I'm going to meet with Aunt Sally over here and learn about Aunt Sally and see what Aunt Sally's family's up to and what's been going on in Aunt Sally's life. And then I'm going to leave over there and I'm going to come over here and talk to Uncle Joe and I'm going to get on Uncle Joe's family and what's going on. They get into these small groups. Can I just tell you something? That is critically important for church life. I'm not selling anything. I'm trying to get you to see that a valuable way to connect is through small groups. I know that's difficult. I know that's hard because we're busy. Because we have different personalities, we have different interests, and I'm going to be the only one that shows up there who likes art. Maybe not. You may be surprised. So show up. Secondly, open up. you got to open up. you got to get past that personality thing. And listen, you're talk I, this is Mr. Introvert talking to you, but you got to open up. What I mean by that is got to take some risks. How many know that relationships are risky? Right? It takes some risk. So, I, what I'm saying, you got to take some risk sometime. Now, can, Eric, can I use you just a minute? You're sitting around on the second row. Take Eric, for example. Eric's, Eric's been here since we, I guess, since we started this campus, or at least for a long, long time. Maybe not since we started, but for a long time. And probably most people in the room don't even know Eric. And you're like, see there? Just what I'm saying. But how many have come up to Eric and risked shaking a hand, handing his hand out and saying, Hey, I'm Eddie. How are you doing, man? And let him say, well, hey, I'm Eric. Never have met you. I see you sitting up there on second row every Sunday. But you'll probably change now that I'm doing all this. I hope not, Eric. You take some risks, right? Or you go up to Kelly. How many of you go up to Kelly and say, hey, Kelly, I am glad to see you here, man. I'm so glad to have you here at the orchard. And you're like, he says, well, I've been here for 50 years. Well, so what? You didn't know him. Sometimes you have to open up. a small group. You have to open up. You have to be willing to take some risks. Relationships are risky. I know that. Because here's the thing. I'm going to let you all in on a secret. We have some crazy people here. Just like there are crazy people everywhere. I don't mean crazy crazy. I mean different. And it's okay. We have to open up. Third, we have to join up. To get connected, you need to join up. You need to join in. Have some commitment to what you're a part of. Take, don't be afraid to partner. Don't be afraid to make a commitment. Don't be afraid to take some ownership. Don't be afraid to take some investment, to make some investment. Here's the thing I know about my family. The reason it works is because I have a lot invested, right? And so it's tough. But we find ways to make things happen.
we join up. And I want to encourage you to join up. Join into a small group. Join into partnership with us. Commit. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to take a risk. And then finally, we look up. We look up. Because everything we do must point to Jesus Christ, our Lord. That is our commonality of faith. That He is who holds us together. He is our purpose. He is our life. He is our Father. He is everything to us. He is our common ground. You see, we love each other. Now watch this. We love each other not from what we can give for each other. I don't love my brother just because he's 6'3", 300 pounds and he can protect me. I love him because of who he is. And the other is just a blessing. Right? I don't love my children because of what I can get from them. I just love them because of who they are, my children. And I don't love you for what I can get from you. I love you because of who you are. You are my family. You are my faith family. And we together are sons and daughters of God, brothers and sisters in Christ. We are family. And I want to have your back. And I want you to have my back. And I want us to function as a family. My deepest, greatest desire for us as a church is to function like a family. And I'm going to be the first to say, we're not perfect at it. But we want to strive for it. And some of you are saying, well, all I know is you or nobody else was there one time when. Now listen carefully. God gifted me with certain things that I need in ministry. He's gifted me with many things that I didn't even know I would need. But there's one gift that he didn't give me. He did not give me the gift of mind reading. I can't read minds. But I know this. We all have a gift of being a part of a family and the opportunity to be together in a small group of people who we share commonality with, a commonality of faith, who we can share experience of love together and we can be nurtured together and grow together in faith. I know that our family here is not perfect, but I don't know what I would do without you, my church family. I mean that with all my heart. Pray with me, would you? Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace. Lord, you've been so good to me. You've blessed me with many church families over the years. You blessed me with a church family when I was young. You blessed me with a church family, a different church family when Beth and I were very young in our marriage, in early seasons of our marriage. You blessed us with a still different church family when our children were adolescents and making their way through high school and college. You blessed us with another church family who encouraged us in seasons of empty nest and learning about grandparenting. 
and learning about a new season in life. And now, you've blessed us with still another church family. We're helping us to navigate these final years of ministry and life. And Lord, I'm so grateful for each of those church families and what they have meant to me. And I thank you most of all now, Lord, for this family that we have. And God, thanks for showing me we are so far from perfect. We're, st we're still learning in this thing, Lord. Would you help us? Would you guide us? Would you awaken us to things and open our hearts and our minds? Lord, would you teach us how to do it better? How to love each other as brothers and sisters, even when we disagree? Would you teach us how to grow together? Nourish each other, encourage each other. God, thank you for allowing my church, my family, to be in church. And all the blessings that that brings. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You know, I was thinking this morning as I was finally doing the final thoughts and preparations of the day, I'm grateful that my family is in church right now. That even though they're not in my local church family here, they live too far away, but they're in church and they have the blessing of being in church. And it's, it's not for them family or church, it's family and church. And I'm grateful and I'm I'm telling you, it's a blessing in my life. So if you're here today, I hope you'll hear me not as the preacher with the preacher hat on, uh, not as the pastor with the pastor hat on. I hope you'll hear me as simply a man, a dad, granddad, a husband, a father, who through the years has learned that it is family and church. It is not family or church, and it is family in church that makes a huge difference in life. Learning to look beyond the imperfections, look beyond the people who might stop me from being in church, and looking toward Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith, the one who holds us together, and the one who has blessed me with a family like you. So we're going to just kind of bring this service to a close in maybe a little different way. We're, just, we're going to sing. We're going to sing a song of praise to our Father who loves us greatly. We're going to worship and honor Him. And then I'll have a few final thoughts and we'll go enjoy the holiday. Stand with us, will you?